lot of people say that that uh, Malcolm X uh, hated white people and all this stuff, but. As I said, I've listened to numerous uh, Malcolm X speeches, and I've never heard him say he hated anybody. Until the day they died, Malcolm X was a revolutionary separatist, and Martin Luther King was an integrationist and a reformer. He, Malcolm X said this, and I can prove it. Now, see, he said he wanted to, uh, I didn't, I'm not saying this, Malcolm X said this. He said that if there was no march in Washington, he would participate. He also said that um, he, he he wanted to use, try to use political system and try to combine all the civil rights movements together in a common effort because they're strength in numbers. Now go ahead, and I can prove all that. I'm not. You can Google it. Uh, you can look get, it up. Get, oh, okay. You giving your? I'm not giving my perspective, uh, Sekou. That's what you're wrong. That's what Malcolm X said. Not what Tyrone said. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Malcolm X, he gave us black nationalism, and that's still the call of the day. Integration is a dead issue. It ain't working because white people didn't want it. And we definitely ain't going back to segregation. So the only intelligent solution is separation. That's the philosophy he, of the nation. He was a separatist the day he died. That's the philosophy he, of the nation. He was a separatist the day he died. Because so you, you're wrong. Because you don't know what you're talking about. Let's hear what Malcolm had to say. I would say that Uncle Martin is my friend. Uncle Martin is your friend. Yet you would disagree with his... Uh, approach to what he wants to accomplish. Definitely. If his approach would bring about uh, what the black man in America needs to completely eliminate the problem that we have, I would say well and good. But I very much doubt that uh, anyone who uh, adopts the approach that Martin Luther King has been teaching to our people in that country can point to any meaningful gains that has actually served to solve the problem. Black Muslims uh, have sometimes, whether you have or not, and I think probably you have, have sometimes, it seemed to me, been preaching hate to meet hate. Uh, I don't advocate any kind of hate. There's a lot that, of talk that sounds very much like it. No, I think that the guilt complex of the American white man is so profound until when you begin to analyze the real condition of the black man in America, Instead of the American white man eliminating the causes that create that condition, he tries to cover it up by accusing his accusers of teaching hate. But actually, they're just exposing him for being responsible for what exists. Well, that's, that's uh, something of, of an argument. But I've heard speeches made by some of the people of your group. I think I've heard you make speeches. It seemed to me that you were advocating uh, what I would have to describe, I think, as violence to meet the serious injuries that have been done your people, with which I totally agree. I don't call that violence. Uh, I don't in any way encourage black people to go out and initiate acts of aggression indiscriminately against whites. But I do believe that the black man in the United States and any human being anywhere is well within his right to do whatever is necessary by any means necessary to protect his life and property, especially in a, in a country where the federal government itself has proven that it is either uh, in, unable or unwilling to protect the lives and property of those human beings. Just before Pierre takes it, you've got a pretty good fighter and the world's heavyweight champion lined up with you to help out. Yes, Pierre. Well, Mr. X, if I guess I call you that. Is that a proper uh, appellation, yes. Mr. X? I I'm wondering if you still believe, as I think you certainly did in the time you were allied to the black Muslim movement, in a segregated black nation no. in North America. No. I don't believe in any form of segregation or any form of racism. You can hang on my hold the rope But they hope to the Pope and pray it ain't dope The follow-up Farrakhan He'll tell me that you understand Until you hear the man Don't believe the high Don't, don't, don't believe the high Don't, don't, don't believe the high Alright, hello Baltimore My name is Tyrone Bose, owner of BPPW Heating and Cooling 
and welcome to our show, Call Tyrone, the Call Tyrone Show. And I am here with my millennial co-host, my African-American history and cultural gangsters, Leroy Myers, a graduate student and teaching assistant at the University of Oklahoma. His area of study is the dynamics of African-American and Native American history. Leroy is now in Oklahoma, where people in Oklahoma listen to us even as we speak, and we're being listened to all over the country. Say hello, Leroy. Hello, good afternoon, everybody. Okay, and my other millennial, Zachary Leacock, social media entrepreneur who majored in audio production, radio, TV, and film at Howard University. He is a socially conscious vegan and a producer of the Channel 10 podcast, featuring interviews with pioneering rap artists. Hey, Baltimore, what's going on? It's good to be back. Okay, before we uh, get over the show, I think uh, we have some uh, commercials that we have to get out of the way. Okay. All right. We're good to go ahead. Okay, we're good to go ahead. Good. Okay. We, um, now, that clip that you heard in reference to, uh, um, you know, we had, uh, we had a show where we discussed uh, Malcolm X and how he, he had an evolution. He, he, uh, he, ch- he kind of changed after he returned from Mecca. He um he actually had an evolution in his, in his thinking as far as you know, uh, you know, uh, um, um, wanting to uh, be more active in, in politics and and also in um, uh, uh, combining forces with other civil rights movements. And uh, and the fact we also discussed the fact that Malcolm X did not preach hate, and um, you know he was just when he did speak about the. Uh, um, fighting or whatever it was in self-defense okay and a lot of people get the idea they want the they want the hate uh you know hate white folks malcolm and they don't want to explore uh there's other the other dynamics of his personality they want to keep him one-dimensional and so um as a result we had a caller calling he was very rude you know i tried to give him deference he he asked me what my age was and told me i didn't know what i was talking about and all that so to show you that what we do, we do research on the show. We don't just talk about stuff we don't know what we're talking about, okay? So that was very disrespectful to me and my co-host when he did that. So I, I think uh, we have uh, did some house cleaning today, and I think uh, we, we adequately addressed that issue. Uh, Zach? Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, the record speaks for itself. Um, and, you know, we go by what is documented in history and not just conjecture. Um, and, you know, we all live through certain periods and times, um, but oftentimes um, hindsight is twenty twenty. And um, after you're able to, you know, look back and actually do the analysis on things and, um, you know, really piece together um, the totality of someone's life, um, you can gain a fuller perspective than just, um, you know, how you feel at the moment or try to twist someone's words in order to um, agree with what you're saying. Right. You know, we, tr- we need to stop uh, being so emotional when we address these things and be more analytical as a people um uh we have we have a caller but let's uh go to leroy uh yeah you know i'm um, also uh you know uh piggybacking off of what zach just said you really have to put everything make sure that you contextualize everything and so we so we need to understand that you know these leaders like malcolm x martin luther king you know they are a part of a long history of uh, certain leaders in black history so malcolm x for example he preached black nationalism, but you can go back to Garvey. You can go, uh, you know, much further, deeper back into, you know, into the 19th Absolutely. century with people like John Turner in the 19th century in Indian Territory and um, even territorial uh, territorial nationalism, trying to create your own towns, your own businesses. Absolutely. And uh, going back to what you said about Garvey, Malcolm's father was a Garveyite. 
And that was one of the things that he was a Baptist minister. And he was very a very fiery order. And that was one of the things that got him killed. They had their, 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 their family home uh, burnt down and they had to move from where they were living and move somewhere else where he eventually was killed. His body was found on a train, a trolley track. And Malcolm X believed that he was killed by the Ku Klux Klan. They, they, they found his skulls crushed him by the train and his body was almost split in half. And um, just to, you know, piggyback off that, um, you know, uh, when Malcolm X, um, you know, when he did or, you know, the things that he said that were perceived as um, advocating a completely, you know, separatist type of viewpoint, um, it wasn't separatism for separatism's sake. It was uh you know, a means to an end. And he even said in the clip um, that we just played that, you know, if um, if Malcolm, I mean, um, excuse me, if Martin Luther King's um, approach would work, then, you know, more power to him. He would be for that, too. He just um, at the time didn't necessarily see it working. So it wasn't just separatism for separatism's sake. Um, it was, you know, what is the best method that's going to improve the lives of our people? And right. I think that that is what the focus should be than squabbling over, um, you know, various <laughs> things, um, you know, various ideologies and they would constantly the, the uh, people that would interview Malcolm they would constantly get him to try to say he hated you know white folks and they would always try to get him to argue you know get the leaders the black leaders in general to argue amongst themselves to say bad things about each other and uh, but towards the end of his life Malcolm caught on to that and he, he, Malcolm actually said bad things about Dr. King but Dr. King never said anything bad about Malcolm and Malcolm actually caught on towards the end of his life and he stopped doing that that's why he was calling him um, Uncle Martin in that in that clip we played let's take the caller Okay, we're going to go to Nathan. Good afternoon, Nathan. How's it going? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Nathan. Yes, uh, Malcolm X said you'll never have freedom, justice, and equality in America. You'd be waiting a thousand years exposed to the hypocrisy of the white man. If Malcolm X was alive today, he'd be hung up on like y'all hung up on me last week. Y'all, we never want to have nobody, you know, challenge you. You hang up on people. Uh, Nathan, you're talking. Go ahead and talk. You that, that's not talking. Uh, Nathan, Nathan. If let's you be hanging up on him. Nathan, make your point. My point is that WLB is a disgrace and you Oh, come on, man. Okay. Come on now. Come on, man. I'm trying to give you a chance to talk just like I gave the gentleman last week a chance to talk, but y'all don't want to talk about nothing. Y'all prefer to argue. You know, I mean, I don't I don't I didn't come here to argue with you. I'm we're in here imparting information and trying to do things to to inform the community. I'm not here to argue with you about various and sundry things and what would have happened to Malcolm Hughes still? We're just, when we were talking about Malcolm, we were just talking about uh, the things that, that Malcolm actually said. You know, and that's all we could go by, the things he actually said. He actually said those things. That was Malcolm talking. I didn't go back in the time machine and, and um, <laughs> tell Malcolm X to say that stuff. He said it himself. Okay? I, and besides, I don't have a time machine. I mean, they don't exist. Okay. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on is that uh, um, there was a collapse, a uh, housing collapse. Um, in Baltimore a few weeks ago, and in light of that, I, you know, I want to touch on um, the uh, revisit the Dollar House uh, thing. And uh, from reading about the collapse, I'm still in favor of the Dollar House because a lot of people I know. Again, we go on emotionalism, just like the last caller, you know, <laughs> pretty much um, uh, demonstrated. We go on a lot of emotionalism. We get upset and all that stuff. But I, I try to analyze this stuff. And and um, now the the media has been pushing that you know that, that, that there should be a plan, an accelerated plan for um, demolitions. That's true. It should be. That's true. I agree with that. There are some houses in Baltimore that should be demolished. Okay, absolutely. They're they're dangerous. But however, after reading the uh, the uh, Sun article, um, um, Baltimore Sun, the Sunday Sun, um, uh, it says Baltimore officials have identified more than 500 vacant homes. 
that are at risk of collapse. Just 17 are on the city's list of several hundred buildings to be torn down in the next year or two. So the problem isn't that they, you know, that uh, these buildings, you know, that there's no buildings that's, that's uh, renovatable in Baltimore City. The problem is that their demolition program is ca- is concentrating on efforts to de- 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 demolish houses that um, a benefit investment. Okay, if there's a, if there's an eyesore block or whatever, and they want to do an investment project or a development project, they'll do that. They'll do those houses first, okay, instead of worrying about the dangerous houses that'll collapse and kill somebody. And that is the problem, you know. And they only have a million dollars. I think the budget uh, for for demolishing houses right now is ten. It's increased. Uh, um, the mayor has been able to increase the quadruple it to ten million dollars, but the budget only calls for one million for. Uh, um, the demolishing uh, houses that are ready to fall down, and that should be an emergency situation. As opposed, I mean, just like fire, if your house is on fire, that's an emergency. They not worry about the cost of the fire truck going down there to put the fire out because people may die. So, or, or you know, what it costs to uh, you know pull somebody out of a river. You you handle that problem first. You deal with those fiscal uh, issues later. So, um, yes, I'm still in favor of the Dollar House program, and then the main reason I'm in favor of it is because, like I said. It'll work. It worked before. It'll work again. And then, and if they do go to the Dollar House program, they need to run it the exact same way they ran it in the seventies. Now, what they'll do if they ever do decide to do this is they what they may try to do is set it up for failure. In other words, uh, uh, deviate from the tenants that made the program a success in the first place. And um, you know, and there was four tenants. It was uh, it was a, uh, one of them was a truly low barrier to home ownership. The other one was uh, cluster properties. You know, where you can renovate a whole block at one time. Um, uh, you could um, renovate um, uh, direct direct home loans from the city. That was the main one. The direct home loans from the city. You could, they they gave out in the seventies. They gave out one uh, percent loans to to all the people that wanted to uh, do the dollar house program. And it was so popular they had to raffle these houses off. Okay, and and um, nobody defaulted on the loans. Nobody defaulted on the loans. And like I said, if you got a house that costs you a hundred thousand dollars to repair, that can result. A thirty-year mortgage will probably cost you about two hundred eighty dollars. Okay, um, so you can see that that is, that is very affordable, and it can encourage uh, homesteading and, and and in fact generate jobs. You know, in the community. And uh, just to piggyback off that, one of the more disturbing quotes from the uh, Baltimore Sun um, it says, "Housing officials say that they do not knock the houses down immediately because money for demolition is limited, and the city hopes." Uh, some will stay standing long enough to sell to developers. And so um, to me, it would seem if you don't have the money to to demolish the houses, then you can sell them for a dollar, uh, offer loans to people to refurbish the houses and then make your money back, you know, plus some, um, you know, from the repayment of the loans. So, you know, that would seem to me to be the solution to the problem. Right. And they also say that when they when they um, slate a house for demolition, uh, if it's a renter, I, f- I forget what the price was. It was like uh, it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars just to move people, you know, be they renters or, or landowners. But let me see if I can find a, a figure to, to support what I'm trying to say here. But um, it's very expensive. Uh, there's like 17,000 vacant homes in Baltimore. And the other thing about this program is that uh, um, if you live next to a vacant property, it can make your property unsafe. Okay, one one property falling down could actually... Um, 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 make your house um, uninhabitable, you know, or, or get your house condemned. So it's very important that we deal with this, and also it would generate jobs for the community. 
That's the other other good thing about it. So it's, there's cost savings all around when you're dealing with the, the uh, dollar house program, and it has to be done exactly the way, you know, the way it was run in the 70s. Now, the cost to move renters from a, from a house that they want to demolish for investment or whatever is $85,000 for rent, just to move the people, to, you know, relocate them. And um, the price to uh, for, for homeowners is $170,000 on average. So you see where the savings come in when you encourage uh, homesteading and people building up their communities as opposed to uh, turning them down. So you see the, you see the value of that. Um, okay, now, everybody knows that um, Hillary Clinton visited Baltimore, right? Everybody, you know, pretty much, um, yeah, well, she, maybe nobody knows. But uh, um, she, boarded, she, she actually visited Port Covington, okay? And um, let's talk about Hillary uh, visits Port Covington. The visit from Hillary Clinton here in Baltimore. The presidential hopeful held a rally at Port Covington alongside hundreds of supporters as we get closer to the April 26th primary election. WJZ is live tonight. Amy Ancy has more on which Maryland leaders are endorsing Hillary. Amy? Hi there, Jess. Hillary Clinton vowed to invest in Baltimore's economy and scored some major endorsements. Hillary Clinton getting a warm reception from her supporters in Baltimore. The presidential candidate speaking to Maryland voters at a campaign stop in Port Covington. I will direct hundreds of billions of dollars in new investments to places like West and East Baltimore. Supporters packed City Garage Sunday to see Clinton up close. We're so excited to have Hillary here in Baltimore. Go Hillary. I'm really excited. She will be the next president of the United States. At Clinton's side, fellow Democrats, Senators Barbara Mikulski and Ben Cardin, along with Representative Elijah Cummings. Okay, now, <laughs> Hillary Clinton um, visited Port Covington, and, and, and I'm, I know I'm about to make everybody, you know, a lot of people mad, but um, this just does deserve some analysis in all fairness. Um, and, I'm, you know, I would say to you that... Um, Again, I, you know, I think we need to demand stuff from these politicians and not beg, not ask, but demand because they, they're depending on our vote. And Hillary Clinton has, has um, seemed to have secured a large block of the black vote uh, without, to me, you know, any, any, um, any uh, um, just judging from the past, it, it seems that it's not merited from what, what I'm saying. I think, I think she needs to, uh, we need to start demanding more from these politicians. Um, when I... When she came to Port Covington, um, from the from the uh, the clip I saw on it, it seemed like the whole everybody there was white except for um, Elijah Cummings. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but I remember when Bernie Sanders came to Baltimore, he actually visited Sandtown Winchester. He didn't visit Port Covington; he visited Sandtown Winchester. And then by comparison, that whole crowd was black. And there's a large Jewish community here in, in Baltimore. He could have went down there to Pikesville or whatever and, and visited the folks there, but he chose to visit the black community. And again, Bernie Sanders has been arrested for civil rights. He's, he's been on, to the March on Washington, um, you know, and he's, he also um, was a member of CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality, and uh, um, uh, also SNCC when, when they merged at, at his college. Um, he was a chapter head of that. So he, has, he does have, a, you know, some civil rights uh, resume. I'm not saying he's, he was the next Dr. King. That's, that's, that's idiocy. I'm not going to even say that. But he, he has had some input. I mean, and a lot of us haven't been arrested, including me, for civil rights. You know, so, you know, he, he has bragging rights to that. I, I certainly can't say that. Um, let's talk about when, um, um, what's the more important, ISIS or jobs? 
And we'll talk about the emotions about that. What's more important, I is the jobs. And I know we got callers, but just hold on a minute. Uh, just one uh, moment yeah. um, to get yeah. the clip together. It's the uh, Bernie Sanders uh, clip. Um, right. Okay. But um, I just wanted to uh, follow up on that. To me, um, it's very telling, um, you know, Hillary Clinton going to Port Covington and promising hundreds of billions of dollars to flood in um, when, you know, definitely, um, you know, Port Covington is is you know, slated for redevelopment uh, by the large developers and, you know, where the funds have been directed. Well, well let me let me let me interject. Mm -hmm. What Hillary Clinton said, this is how you announce what uh, do analysis on what politicians say. What she said was, I'm going to see that billions of dollars come to East and West Baltimore. OK, Harbor East is in East Baltimore. OK, I think most parts of the inner harbor is in East Baltimore. OK, and then and uh, and by the way, uh, poor company is in West Baltimore. So she can actually keep that campaign promises those campaign promises without even having any effect on the people in the communities that need the money the most or the investment the most. And uh, a primary example of that is the empowerment zones. Y'all remember that? The, the empowerment zones. So let's be careful when these, these politicians um, promise us things and uh, let's, let's do a full analysis of what they're saying and let's see how that would, you know, that would actually benefit the community. And like I said, we need to stop begging from these politicians. We need to stop Stop asking. We need to start demanding because we have so much power. It's like a gold mine in Baltimore City, if you think about it. If the, we got a black mayor, we got a black uh, president of city council, We most of the city council is black. All we got to do is say, look, stuff is going to stop until we get what we want. Okay, when we, we're going to make these demands. We want summer jobs, enough for all the kids that want summer jobs. We want, we, we want them, and nothing's going to move until we get this. And, and, then, and then it will happen. It will happen because we have the clout. We are a majority black city. Right now, we have the clout to do it. We just don't use that power. And that's, and that's what troubles me. We go begging and, 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 and pleading and all that, and we put these people back in office without asking for anything in return. Um, Leroy? Well, I know yeah, we got calls, know, so go ahead, yeah, go ahead Leroy. Um, we we're going to call quickly, that um, uh, You know, uh, Hillary's visit to Port Covington um, truly exemplifies uh, something that she has been really struggling with uh, when it comes to a lot of voters, and it's the issue that, you know, she is essentially an establishment candidate. Uh, something that you know Bernie Sanders uh, get, gets on her uh, gets on her on about how she really is involved in big money and, and, and investment, and you know she 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 has a whole bunch of people on Wall Street who support her. Um, so it's not a big surprise that she decided to go to Port Covington, you know, as opposed to Sandtown Winchester like uh, Bernie did. Right where the need is, the need is in Sandtown Winchester, folks, not with the wealthy developers. They are they are already wealthy. What, what you know? They don't need any help from Hillary Clinton, but I'm sure she'll give it to him. Just like she, I mean, well, she won't release the transcripts to go that she made for the speech she made to Goldman Sachs and places places like that. So we can't really say for sure what you know her agenda is until she releases those transcripts. And so far, she has refused to do so. Um, let's take a let's go ahead. Let's take a couple calls, and then we'll we'll go ahead and okay. Uh, we're gonna go to Don. How's it going, Don? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Hey, how's it going, Don? Good evening. It's great, man. You know, a lot of times, you know, like I say, it's, it's all about emotion with a lot of our people. You know, we get too emotional over things. We need to, you know, set, stand back and figure out how we're going to work together and build coalitions. Because, I mean, we're only, what, 12% of the population? Right, but in Baltimore, Don, we're 68% of the population. Right, right. Exactly. right. and that's a that's gold mine. But, you, like I said, we get too emotional, like Hillary Clinton, for, you know, we we just feel like we have to 
automatically give our vote to her. And, you right, know, we, we love do the do we, I mean, I look at it this way. Look who's supporting Sanders. Uh, Harry Belafonte. Right, right. He was just at the Apollo, by the way. You got Danny Glover. These right, right. On the front line. Absolutely. Now, Harry Belafonte was just at the Apollo with Bernie Sanders the other day. And I'll, I'll, I'll play a clip for you later. But, yeah. But these, you're right. You're correct. The people with the sense are actually back in Bernie Sanders but because he's, he's speaking to our needs. You know, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, one candidate, one president not going to solve all that. No, problems. of course not. Of course not. Now, I'm going I'm to say this. Now, given the choice between them and Republicans, I would vote for Hillary Clinton because I'm the, at that point I'm voting for um, the Supreme Court. So I am not going to vote for Donald Trump. I agree with that. I would definitely go in the booth, hold my nose, you know. I would hold my nose, yes. But I'm not saying that Hillary Clinton is all that great because her husband knows I play a saxophone and all this kind of nonsense. And they go to church and sit down with the black people, eat with them and all this kind of stuff. No, that's not enough for me. We have to be more reasonable and stop. You know, I I hear a lot of the uh, brothers, uh, you know, the, uh, I ain't going to call them militant, but, you know, brothers... Who's still, you know, looking for, uh, how, how do I say it, uh, you know, our liberation. Right, right, right. <laughs> it, you know, they come on the radio, and they want they want to get all emotional and get angry. And some of me want to punish people who don't uh, disagree, uh, who disagree with them. We, right, you know, right. better than that. Now, I can disagree with you, but when you start saying stuff like, you don't know what you, on my show, you start saying stuff like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know what you're talking because you just insulted me and my co-host. You know what I'm saying, and I, and and then you're not gonna come on Russ Limbo telling him he don't know what you're talking about because he he normally doesn't, but you're not gonna call him up messing with him about that or or Michael Savage. So don't come on here with that nonsense. You are absolutely right. We we got to figure out what's gonna work in the best interest of all of us. Absolutely. You know. Uh, thank you for calling, Don. Thank you uh, so much for your comment. Thank you. Okay, uh, let's go to. Uh, Bill Clinton defends the super uh, predators comment. That happened over the weekend. By the way, uh, Bill Clinton had a, um, was heckled at a rally where he was actually trying to defend the comment by the super predator, you know, that his wife made about super predators back in the nineties. And super predators was a was a phrase that was coined by the Republicans that, that specifically meant black people. Okay, it was coded language. Okay, and everybody understood that back then. Not many people understand that now, but everybody understood that uh, back then. And what they were trying to do was the Clintons were trying to out tough on them, the Republicans at that point. Bill Clinton actually went to a jail and witnessed uh, the um, execution of a, of a mentally retarded, severely retarded black man. He was so retarded that, or, or mentally impaired that he said um, he told him to hold his dessert until he was finished because he didn't realize what was going to happen to him. So let's go ahead and play that. Um. Former President Bill Clinton, confronted by some Black Lives Matter protesters, defended his wife's use in the 1990s of the, of the term super predator. I don't know how you would characterize the gang leaders who got 13-year-old kids hopped up on crack and sent them out onto the street to murder other African-American children. Maybe you thought they were good citizens. She didn't. She didn't. You are defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. Tell the truth. Okay, Okay. all right, so that was Bill Clinton lashing out at uh, um, at the uh, the Black Lives Black Matter, Lives Matter uh, group, but I had some more in there where um, the, the, uh, they had a roundtable discussion that was explaining that that wasn't what was happening in the 90s. What was really happening is people were getting caught up that were nonviolent offenders, people for simple possession charges. 
And uh, the the um, propaganda was that it was addressing the kingpins and all that stuff. But that wasn't really the case in a lot of cases. The majority of the people were getting arrested for simple drug possession and getting these criminal records. And blacks were getting arrested at six times, six times the rate of whites, even though they had similar uses of uh, drug uses. So they, they, people, these people were getting arrested and getting these records put on them for life by policies that specifically, any thinking person that reads the omnibus crime bill would understand that that was specifically meant to, to target urban blacks. And if you don't, you got to be, um, you know, an, an imbecile. Because um, just look at the crack cocaine laws. You know, uh, it was understood the way we sell drugs is out in the open. But, um, you know, as Michelle Alexander has indicated, you know, blacks are no more, um, you know, um, possibly be drug as than whites because by sheer numbers, whites are the majority of the population. We're only 12% of the population. So more whites actually sell drugs than blacks. But when you think about a drug dealer, as Michelle Alexander put it, the author of the New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration and the Age of Color Blinds, as she put it, you think about a black person in your mind when that isn't even a true depiction of the average drug deal. And, um, you know, just going back to making demands on your politicians, um, you know, Joy Reid talks in her book Fracture um, about how uh, Bill Clinton put those things or those those uh, things were put into that bill to appease the uh, Republicans. So, um, you know, other people are are, you know, demanding things of politicians and they're getting them put in um, and it affects us. So we need to definitely do the same thing. Um, you know, because, you know, they advocated to put that in there. Um, and so we need to advocate for uh, things in our bills as well, the same way that uh, other uh, cultures do. Right, right. Those Tea Party people are playing. When they want something, they, they, let, they let it be known. And that's why they love Donald Trump so much, because he's speaking out for them. Even though the established Republicans are telling him to sit down and shut up because they can't control him, he's saying what those Tea Partiers want him to say. And, and, they, and they love him. They love him. Okay, so and I'm not saying he's right on agree with Donald Trump. But let's go to a call real quick. Okay. And we'll play another clip. Okay, uh, next up on the line, uh, we have Lady Maggie. How's it going, Lady Maggie? Thank you. Peace and blessings to all of you. Yeah, how's it going, Lady Maggie? Uh, it's just, 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 just a struggle uh, like it was for um, people like um, the one uh, Malcolm L. Hajj. Uh, Malik Shabazz, and I'm glad that you played uh, his words because I think sometimes we allow people to be forgotten and don't realize they set a standard for us. And when they set a standard for our liberation, then we're the ones to complete whatever they started. And when you said that, um, I think you said that, um, um, Malik El-Hajj Shabazz wasn't for segregation. No, 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 Maggie. No, what I said was, as long as he was a member, and this is what the clip indicated, too. He said it on the clip. As long as he was a member of the Nation of Islam, which is he was for separate, uh, separate, separatism and segregation, okay? But when he broke with them, he later broke with them. And he said, as long as Elijah Muhammad, as long as he felt like Elijah Muhammad believed that, he was all for it. But once he came to the conclusion that, Nothing's being done towards that end, and that Elijah, he didn't feel that Elijah Muhammad actually believed that. He stopped being for it. He well, said that I, on that clip. He said it I on listen, that clip. Go ahead. I listened to um, uh, Elijah Muhammad talk, and I never really heard words like that. What I heard were words for independence. Right, right, words right, for right. I agree. I agree. Uh, words for um, doing what I, nature I agree. does for everybody. Right. And As I just said, that was his philosophy. Faith. 
That was the philosophy of the nation of Islam at that yeah, time. And, I mean, that, that is what nature shows us, that every creature, group of creatures, if you look at giraffes, they have their own space. If you look at elephants, they have their own space. You look at all of them, they have their own space. But you don't see them fighting each other because they are on the earth. They share those resources. They have their own space. So you can say, I want to go visit the elephants. You know where to go. I want to go visit the giraffes. You know where to go. So if you get so confused that you lose your identity, then you have to establish some self-determination. Absolutely. Thank you. If you don't mind, when you mentioned uh, Hillary, um, I thought about what you said, and that was really, really on point when you said she went to the area um, of Fort Covington. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically, she was saying, I- I'm going to cover this. Right, you know, right. And that, this stuff is, is, is uh, hidden in plain sight. We're looking at this stuff, but we're not dissecting it and seeing the meaning of so- when somebody visits uh, um, a place like Santana, Winchester, when somebody visits a place like Fort Covington. You know, they're going where their heart is, Okay. So we got to understand that, you know, when, when we are analyzed who's doing, you know, who's the best prospect for uh, uh, black people. Next call. Thank you so much, and Lady yes, Maggie. And I'm thank saying you. this. Oh, oh okay. We have to go to the next. You got to go to the next oh, caller. Thank you, uh, Lady Maggie. Let's go to the next caller. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, next sorry, up we, on the uh, line. Lines are lit. Right. <laughs> sorry about <laughs> yeah, that. I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, we, we have, uh, we got, we, we have Brother Carlos. Uh, how's it going, Brother hey, Carlos? Hey, hey, brother. Hey, uh, a dynamite program. Uh, uh, let me just uh, refresh and go back to Port Covington just a minute. Um, I think you'll find, and, and this, this, if you uh, verify the facts, that uh, the, the developers are putting up $400 million of their own money and asking for like 100 and some million dollars from the, the city. But the main point is this, uh, that I wanted to... Let, can, uh, Carlos, can I, can I inject real quick, sir? Yeah, I appreciate you calling, and you usually have something very good to say. You always do it, as a matter of fact, from what I've seen on the show. Um, but from what I read, um, they want developers for Port Covington want five hundred thirty-five million dollars in tips, uh, which is uh, okay. tax well, uh, increment financing. I can, say, I can say this is something that we want to verify. Right, right. Over ten here's, years, here's, over ten year period. Here's my main point. Go ahead. Uh, governor Hogan has put himself up as a pro-business governor. Right. This should, He's be a his, this is, should be right in his wheelhouse. Now, I'm saying this with the background that National Harbor is supposed to open the casino and stuff within about uh, two, about a few months. They put $2.1 billion into that project. Governor Hogan and Nancy, Nancy Cop and, and uh, Francho just signed at the Board of Estimates. A, a Francho is the treasurer, right? For the $5.1 billion purple line. He just gave. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He just gave a tax, uh, a tax reprieve, a benefit to Norfolk Grumman. Right, right. For several million dollars to, to provide. They're going to keep they, their they jobs. But they didn't ask for it. But the key is that they didn't even ask for it. They just gave well, it to him anyway. Well, well the point is that, <laughs> is that if he loves Baltimore, the people of Baltimore so much, why? Why can't he oh. work out a deal? Why can't he work out a deal 
uh, to, for the state to help to promote this particular project. Right, right, right. I, now, now, okay? um, so that's, that's Carlos. My that's my point. This is supposed to be in his wheelhouse. He's supposed to be a pro-business governor. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, hey, let's jump in. Feed first and don't even, you know, and, and, and get the job done. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Carlos, for calling that. Um, but you, what you said was key. And um, I'm not saying, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with development. We want development. But at the same time, we want some of the, some of the wealth to be spread around, you know. Let's, let's do development that's smart. That, let's, do, let's make sure, let's ensure that some of these people in places like Sandtown, Winchester, with 50% unemployment rate for, for black males from 16 to 64, according to the Justice Policy Institute, let's make sure they get some of those jobs, even, even if they have uh, criminal records and, and such. We've got to work within that construct to try to make things better. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have the crime we have. When people can't work, they, they're going to resort to what they know, okay, if they're ex-offenders. And they may recidivate just because they don't have the opportunity. Let's go. I know we got a few calls. So just hold on. What I want to do is let's go to Jimmy Doors um, uh, on Clinton's response. You are He's saying you're defending the people who kill the lives you say matter. He's saying we only locked up black people who were killing other black people when we know that's not what happened. They put a lot of nonviolent people in jail. We already know that the way the drug laws are enforced in the United States are completely biased and racist. Right? We all know that they arrest and prosecute black people at a much higher rate than white people who use drugs at the same rate. But they get prosecuted and arrested at a much higher rate. So we know that. So what Bill Clinton, so that's what they're saying to Bill Clinton. And they're holding his feet to the fire for doing the crime bill and the welfare re reform. And he's, he doesn't know how to say, yeah, I already apologized for this. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, ah, yeah, you're defending murder. This is what he's saying to Black Lives Matter. And you think Bernie, and somehow, but Bernie Sanders is the guy who has a problem with minorities. Okay, <laughs> so a very point, uh, point was made by, by Jimmy uh, Dore. Um, and then let's go to um, what's more important, and I know we got callers, but just hold on, people, and we'll get to you. What's more, more important, ISIS or jobs? And we'll talk about emotionalism based on that. Clip is uh, coming up in just a second. And at the end of the day, you gain wealth when you own a home and you don't have to rent. So the truth of the matter is that the interest rates the poor people pay are often higher. They're paying rent rather than living in their own homes. Not to mention that the jobs that they're working in, by definition, are paying uh, wages that are often uh, inadequate to feed to take care of their families. So being poor is, in fact, uh, a very expensive proposition. Okay, thank you all very much. Thank you. Your, your press ranger came in here and said not to ask questions about ISIS. Is there a reason that you don't want to talk about ISIS? <laughs> All right, what about ISIS, guys? How often are these people talking about the issues that we talked about today? <laughs> of course I'll talk about ISIS. But today what we're talking about is a community in which half of the people don't have jobs. We're talking about a community in which there are hundreds of buildings that are uninhabitable. We're talking about a community where kids are unable to go to schools that are decent. You want to ask me about ISIS? We will talk about ISIS. But what I said, and let me repeat, and you can agree with me or not, what I have said is that obviously ISIS and terrorism are a huge national issue that we've got to address. But so is poverty, so is unemployment, so is education, so is health care, so is the need to protect working families. And I will, I will continue to talk about those issues. Okay, that was Bernie Sanders at a press conference 
in Baltimore when after he had ran, went through uh, Santan Winchester, which he said looked like a third world country. He said he thought it was in a third world country when he <laughs> Bernie Sanders said that when he went through that place. Right. And and uh, we get all emotional about things like ISIS and stuff like that. I mean, you get 34 people killed in Brussels. That has nothing to do with us people. And we're worried about going to war. Every presidential candidate is talking about going to war, including Hillary Clinton. ISIS going, didn't kill Freddie Gray. Right. ISIS didn't kill Freddie. Exactly. And and, and we're going to go to war because uh, some country overseas lost 34 people uh, with ISIS. And, and, and it's been shown that there is no military solution for the Middle East. Okay. It's not. The United States has one of the most powerful military in the world. It's very seductive by people who have power over it. That's why the candidates, if you look, listen to the Republican debates, they kept saying they want to be commander-in-chief because it's very alluring. But we got to understand that, you know, when every problem looks like a nail, I mean, when, I'm sorry, when when, you're, when every problem looks, if, if your only tool is a hammer, rather, if your only tool is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail, okay? And we can't, the military can't solve all problems, okay? And, uh, again, we have some wicked um, weapons in the military, but the, against the human spirit, they're nothing. And we found that out in Vietnam. I mean, we spent years in Iraq. You know, I've, 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 I've been over there myself. We spent years in Iraq you know, um, from 2003 to 2011 officially. And we still, you know, it's a, it's a worse spot than it was after we hung Saddam Hussein. So, that to me, there's no military solution in the Middle East. And it's, it's foolhardy to try to fight a land war in Asia. We found that out many times before, but we keep going back over there for things that don't concern us. And that's the major problem. When the World Trade Center came down, if you know anything about history, the, the, what actually uh, made uh, bin Laden do that, and he said this, was because U.S. forces were in um, 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 Saudi Arabia, which is the uh, holy land as far as Mecca and Medina for the, for the Muslim religion. And that's why he was incensed. Okay, let's go to the next caller. Okay. Um, next up, we have... Uh Troy on line four. How's it going, Troy? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, how's it going? All right. Hey, listen. I heard. I heard you mention the. Uh, I heard you mention Port uh, Covington, right? Yes. Yes, Troy. Honestly, I have a. I have a. Uh, I have a paper here that details exactly how much is going to be spent. And to be honest with you, it was more like three point two billion. <laughs> but, but, yeah. But you know who's going to be paying that back? Us, as right. far as the taxpayers, the mortgages are going to go up, land taxes are going to go up. What was that paper? What was that paper printed? Uh, you, man. Troy, what was that paper printed? Because I'm getting uh, different information. Printed, printed by a young lady. I mean, when? Amanda, when? What date? What date? I can't pronounce her last name. What date? What date? What date? Yeah, because they keep okay. changing the information on us. Uh, I don't even. I don't see a date on here, brother, to be honest with you, but I can tell you that I just got this in my hand last week. Right, right. Yeah, that got it in my hand last week, and I would like to send you the information. I could, uh, I don't know. I guess I could, I could take a picture of it, text it to you, or email right, it to you, or, or something. That would be and, fine. You, know, you can read it for yourself. Yeah, that'd be fine. So I'll put my, f my phone number up in a little bit because um, it's going to be. I'm, I'm going to do a commercial in, in a little bit, but let's try to get these calls knocked out of the way. Okay. Thank um, you so much for your uh, comment, Troy. Okay. Thank you, Troy. Okay. Next up, we're going to go to Pete. How's it going, Pete? Hey, Pete. Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, yes, brother. I, I heard you when you were talking about Hillary and um, and the other candidate, um, Bernie Sanders, coming when it, uh, uh, coming to Baltimore. Right. Well, the reality of the matter is they don't have to go anywhere but the black community. Bernie Sanders <laughs> doesn't have to worry about the Jewish belt. Well, he's got that. 
Right, oh, right. I, yeah, I get that, too. I, trust me, I get that, too. I, get, I understand that. Go ahead. Good Martin, sir? I said I understand exactly what you're saying. I do get it. I do get it. Yeah, um, the thing about it, all they have to do is just come to our churches and talk about what they're going to give away, what they're going to do for us, and the, set, and the congregation is going to follow as, as, the, as the pastor will. But the reality of the matter is we're the most naive. We're the most naive. We vote on color and, and all this stuff, and this is why we're in the position we are in Baltimore City. You got Sheila Dixon talking about she, the reason why she decided to run again because she was tired of the violence and the crime. Well, uh, wasn't that around when she was an officer? <laughs> you understand? Uh, that's a good point. I mean, you made so, a good point. Uh, you know, the thing about it, she says, we don't need outside people. We don't want people that's all. Well, you've already been there. Go sit down somewhere. <laughs> that's the way I feel about it. You know well, I'm not, like, I say, I, I, like I've said before, I'm for term limits. I think okay. the problem is that a lot of times people get in there, they get too comfortable. They get too familiar with the uh, the movers and shakers and the people, the money people, and they forget Brother, about the people that are there to serve. Thing, and I'm going to get off your phone. Go ahead. Carl Stokes, I got a chance to listen to him. That's a very intelligent brother. Yes, people he is. People need to give that man a look. That's all I'm going to say about that. But what I think, unfortunately, is going to happen, brother, is that we're going to split the black vote. We'll end up with a white mayor. Okay? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, 26 people running. So. That's yeah. not far. You talking about the business guy? Yeah. Maybe Warnock yeah. or maybe Embry. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Thank you so Let's much. Call in. Okay, so next up, we're going to go to Baba on line one. How's it going, Baba? Yes, hello. How you doing? All right, sir. All how right. you doing? I right. happened to meet Malcolm X personally myself in uh, Harlem, New York. I met him per when he put a sword uh, through the Bible. I was in Harlem, and I met Malcolm X first. And Malcolm X said one thing. It is too many Negroes and Uncle Toms running around here. That's what Malcolm X said. Okay, Bobby. You, you anything else you want to say before you get off, sir? Okay. Okay. okay next Thank call. you so much, Bobby. Next up, we have Marcus. How's it going, Marcus? Hey, Marcus. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing? All right, sir. How All you right. doing? I'm, I'm good. What, what I'm trying to uh, say right now is, man, we 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 kind of disillusioned about what's going on out here. You know, um, this is about the money. This is all... It's always about the money, sir. It's always about the money. Yeah, yeah. it's like, who wins? The one who is connected with the money. Mm. I mean, it's almost like they always saying, you need money to, You need money if you're a, a candidate? You know what I mean? These places out here look like they have been bombed. Like you said, a third world country... <laughs> That's not what I said, brother. It's what Bernie Sanders said, yeah, and I agree. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but, but, I mean, I mean, but they do. But all I'm trying to say is, y'all blow up uh, Iraq and all these other countries, but you go in there and build it back yep. up. Yep, yep. And we need a Marshall Plan right here. First of all, we need to, we need to end. I think we need to end the war on drugs and like they did in Portugal. We need to have treatment on demand. We need to have a rebuilding process, a Marshall Plan to put people back to work. You know, black people in the city back to work. A Marshall Plan. George C. Marshall, in case people don't know, again was um, a, a five-star general after World War II. He rebuilt, he's credited with rebuilding Europe. And they have some of the greatest economies in the world right now. And yeah. they 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 have fallen into ruin. But it, that's what it, we need. It, it, it's like you can build up everywhere else. You can pump money into every other country. But then you let this just go right down here. Why? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, it is, it is what it is, Marcus. You know, you know I wish we could do better, but we got to do better. When, like I said, we got to start demanding. And stop asking. Broker our vote. Start demanding from these politicians what we want. Thank you so much, Marcus. Thanks, Marcus. 
Um, let's 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 do the commercial. Okay, let's yeah, run the commercial. Yeah, right. we uh, missed the commercial. I mean, did your air conditioning go bust this summer, or do you need a new furnace for the coming winter? I think you better call Tyrone. Those other companies tried to reduce my family's bank account to zero. But when we called Tyrone, he became our hero. Hello, this is Tyrone, owner of BPPW, telling you don't be overcharged for your air conditioning and heating installations. BPPW can install a new furnace, heat pump, or air conditioning system at very reasonable rates. Don't wait until icicles are hanging off your nose this winter. Call BPPW now at 410-978-6889. We currently offer a 10-year warranty on parts and labor and a lifetime warranty on compressors for air conditioning and heat pump installations. You may qualify for a 30% tax rebate on some installations. So, before you go with the other guys, call Tyrone now at 410-978-6889. Okay, so uh, next up on the line, we're going to go to Mark. How's it going, Mark? Good hey, afternoon. Mark. Hey, brothers. How y'all doing, man? All right, Great all right sir. How you doing? Virtual, man. But, you know, um, Tyrone, that's what I like to always emphasize, man. Um, uh, power, man. We we do have a lot of power, you know, and especially this time, man. We got a lot of but, diversity. But, but, Mark, we beg all the time. We beg. We act. We need to start demanding. We exactly. need to start demanding. You know, exactly. use our power. That's what I'm talking about, man. We got to hold people to the fire, you know, feet to the fire. You know, I go. I've been going to the forums. You know, and talk. You know, talking to people. You know, you have to ask. You know, not only ask the t- tough, tough questions, but um, when you know, once they get in there, man. Because you know, Tyrone. You know, I'm still upset, man. I went to the forum where the um, the comptroller, uh, uh, Miss Flowers, who worked with the homeless, uh, was talking. We was talking about the nine million dollars that was a uh, mismanaged or missing right. or whatever. You know, the homeless are, are very low priority. People. And have nine million dollars misspent or mismanaged or or whatever, you know. And I mean, she was like, "What nine million dollars?" You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, it's absolutely, you know, mind-boggling, man. So you know mm. what I want to see, guys, from our next. And then the more to that point, conflict resolution. Mark, Mark, more yeah, to that point. Right. I was just mm-hmm. driving past the bridge. I might have counted at least uh, um, the bridge on Ralph Way. I know you know where it's at. Uh-huh. I must count at least uh, ten tents out there, at least. Just driving past. I used to work. I, I, I retired from Baltimore VA. I see yeah. it every, you see it every day. Yeah, tents set outside. People homeless, you know, and they hurt. And we yeah, worried about poor company. And, and, and I mean, I mean, I could, you know, it's mind-boggling, man. Yeah, it you know, is. It's mind-boggling, you know. Um, in a country with all this wealth. Huh? In a country with all this wealth. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm in a city Disgraceful. where you got all these tents and all this stuff, man. You're going to have money like that mismanaged, you know. So we got somebody in there. We got to have some accountability, man. We got to, you know, I want to see in the schools, brother, I want to see more um, conflict resolution, you know, and stuff like that, man, you know, and, 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 and I want to see, you know, better co- police, uh, you know, uh, relations outside. And, and I want to see, like and I want to like, see more resolution for uh, unemployment, too. And the other oh, thing, Mark, <laughs> the other thing, uh, other thing Mark, more to your point about the power, yeah. we just had, um, they just passed a law where um, ex-offenders that just get out of jail. As soon as they're released, they don't have to wait till their uh, parole or probation is up. It, as soon as they get released from jail, they can start voting again. I am so and, uh, that's What well, that does, now, they, Tyrone, but they got to use that, that power. power. That, exactly. That's power. That's they got to understand that. feel good about yourself. Right. As somebody that overcame addiction, you know, 
stuff like that, right. you know, um, makes you feel good about yourself, now, man. You know? That's 20,000 people, though. What I'm saying uh-huh. is that's, that's numbers, strength in numbers. There's 20,000 people in Baltimore alone. In Maryland, yeah. I think it's like 40,000. Yeah. So that's 20,000 new voters that can advocate for, look, at, we done did our time. We paid our debt to society. Stop this discrimination against us getting jobs and truly rehabilitating ourselves. They need yeah, to understand absolutely. that power they man, got. We got to do more stuff on the front end, Tyrone, you know, to, to make sure our young people don't get in trouble, that they absolutely. have the resources that they need, right? Right, absolutely. I you think know, they should have summer jobs. Like that, I think man, That's what I want to see. That's my passion, Tyrone. Right. I want to see, people, man. if you're 14 years old, I want to see you be able to get a summer job if you want one, just like Marion Barry did for, for his city. If you absolutely. were 14 and you wanted a job, you could get one. And Marion Barry absolutely. made sure that happened. Absolutely. Well, nothing moved young, until it did happen. Foster son, uh, he's 14, man. He's so excited. We went down there, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know, I want every kid to experience that, man. Right. It, it builds a work ethic, and you understand that you get money from working. If you're a kid and the only thing you see, everybody in your neighborhood that's got money, all the men that got, that got money are drug dealers. What do you think you're going to be start thinking about doing? You know, hey, and they, they buy you tennis. Why are you saying that, brothers? Step up, man. Yeah. Step up. Yeah. You, can start in your, you can start in your family, man. I'm, I've been a, a foster parent, a, a, a relative, three relatives, one 18. She's down in Baltimore, um, uh, down Eastern Shore, uh, you know, uh, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. You know, and, uh, you know, so, I mean, let's step up, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and try to do what we can in our families. Well, know? yeah, I've raised a couple of kids, kids already. And <laughs> yeah. cousins, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that too. Own? That too, yeah. I raised a couple of my own biological kids and, 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 uh, and probably some more too, you know, in the family. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there are things we can do, and we got we got to stop downrating these young people. You know, I was in a bar barbershop the other day, uh-huh. and they were talking about how the young people, you don't have any wisdom and all of a sudden they're all out of control. And I said, you know what? If they if they're out of control, it's because we failed them, you know. Exactly. And I explained to them, that, you know how we always one of them got a mother and a father. Right. That means we failed them. And then um, I explained to them that Dr. King was only twenty six when he led the Montgomery bus boycott. Okay. Absolutely. And um and um Malcolm X, you know, he was he was uh he was um only thirty nine when he got shot. You know, he was in his um early thirties when he went when he went to Nation of Islam. They had like um less than twenty thousand less than two thousand members. By the time he finished, they had Mosque all over the country, all over the country. That's how effective he was as as a young man. And you know, Tyron, I think he wasn't he killed like three weeks after he went to Selma. Something it was something. It was was right after that. It was was right after that. Right because they tried. They they made several attempts on his life. We 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 got we we got a in that vein. We always talk about Malcolm and Martin, man. And in the end, man, them brothers was together, man. Yeah, they were brilliant. They them, were brilliant. Them brothers was together, and 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 you know, and, and brave. They said, you know, if you ain't got nothing, you know, one of them said, if you ain't got nothing that you ain't willing to die for, then you ain't got that, nothing that you right. willing to live, we'll live for. for. That was uh, that was Dr. King that said Y'all that. Take care. All right, Thank sir. You so Thank much. you for calling. Right. Great show. All next week. Thank All you. Right. Okay, uh, we have uh, one more caller. Our last yeah. caller, Troy, yeah, has we a little bit of information. Yeah. Uh, how's it going, Troy? Hey, Troy. Troy? Troy, are you there? Okay, looks like okay. we may have lost <laughs> Troy. But, um, you, know, you know, thank you for listening okay. and calling next week. Yeah, call next week, Troy. Um, so we're going to close the show. Um, Leroy, do you have anything? Um, well, when it comes to, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, again, going back to Hillary visiting Port Covington, um, Thomas Frank, uh, he came out with this book called Listen Liberal or Whatever Happened to the Party of the People, and he argues in it that the Democratic Party have pretty much lost base with the with uh, working class people. And so, no, so now they've been aligning themselves with uh, educated people and people in the in the uh, the in the technology sector. 
So if you look at what he, him and other people are writing about when it comes to liberals, you can understand, you know, the rise of Trump and why Bernie Sanders is really resonating with other people. Right. Because a lot of people find out that these politicians are trying to serve two masters. Well, the, the people that voted for them is one master. And the people that pay for their campaigns is the other master. And you, the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. Um, Zach? Um, I was just going to say, whenever you see a politician do something or whenever you see them at a, at, a, at a certain location, ask a question why. You know, why are they there? Why are they saying the things that they're saying in the location where they are? And the uh, uh, more you dig deeper into it, um, you know, the more you'll you'll come to a better understanding about what's going on. And then in closing, let's stay away from emotionalism, people. As I said before, um, um, Muhammad Ali just get people so upset. That they couldn't concentrate on the fight, and he would he would dismantle them because they were too, too emotional to figure out what was going on. And before they knew it, they were beat. And thank you for another exciting episode of the Call Tyrone Show. I enjoyed all the callers, and feel free to call back. Please call back next week at two o'clock on Monday.